Welcome to a new episode of Policy Implications Podcast, where policy meets research. I'm your host, Olga Zadrozhna from Kosminsky University, where I teach and do research in empirical economics. My guest today is Dr. Manasa Gopal, who is an assistant professor of finance at Georgia Institute of Technology. Manasa's research interests lie in financial intermediation and corporate finance. Today, we'll be discussing her recent paper called The Rise of Finance Companies and Fintech Lenders in Small Business Lending, co-authored with Philip Schnabel. This paper studies the role of finance companies and fintechs in recovery from the 2008 financial crisis with a special focus on small and medium-sized enterprises. So welcome, Manasa, and let's get started. But before we dive into the discussion of the paper, please tell us more about your research and how did you become interested in this topic? Okay, first of all, Olga, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Um, So broadly, uh, my research is on the growth of non-banks or non-traditional financing sources for businesses in the U.S. A large part of my work focuses on small businesses, but I'm interested in this topic uh, more generally as well. So the paper that we'll be talking about today is at the intersection of these two interests, so non-bank lenders and small business borrowers. Um, In this paper, my co-author and I, we show that there's been a significant shift away from traditional bank financing towards non-bank lenders such as finance companies and fintech lenders after the 2008 financial crisis. And we actually show in our paper that by 2016, over 60% of lending to small businesses was coming from these non-traditional sources. Um, To answer your question on how I became interested in this topic, I think it was a combination of factors. Um, Many of your listeners might not actually know this, but small businesses play an extremely important role in the economy. So in the US, over 95% of businesses can be classified as small, And together, they employ over half of the U.S. population. But unfortunately, given the private nature of small businesses, we know very little about how small businesses finance their activities. But one of the things that became clear after the 2008 financial crisis was that banks, and especially the largest banks, they were no longer willing to make loans to small and medium-sized enterprises or SMEs. Um, So naturally, this is concerning, given what I just told you before, right? Given how important small businesses are for the economy, um, if banks won't lend to them, this can lead to things like small business failure, higher unemployment rates, and many other direct and indirect effects on the economy. And this is why I started becoming curious on what alternate sources of funding existed out there for small businesses. And that's kind of what we tried to answer in this paper. And so you found the fintechs, right? And so what are the fintechs and how are they different from traditional banks? And more generally, what is their market share in the US? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I think there is no real formal definition of a fintech, but you can think of fintechs as financial firms Uh, that primarily lend online. And unlike banks, they don't actually take deposits. Uh, The legal structure is still evolving. It has changed quite a bit over time. But very often, fintechs, uh, they have a partnership through uh, with banks that are known as funding banks. 
So what happens is a fintech is incorporated as an independent legal entity, and then they partner with a funding bank. So the fintech is not operate, not uh, incorporated as a bank. They're not subject to bank regulation. And these fintechs offer loans online. They arrange for the bank to make the loan, and then they purchase the loan from the bank immediately after it's been originated. And typically what happens is they partner with a funding bank that's located in a region that, that reduces the regulatory burden. So for example, there are limits on uh, interest rates that can be charged. So these are known as usury limits. So what rates can be charged in a loan that's made? And banks can actually use the rate in the state in which they're incorporated in the US for lending across the country. So fintechs, they'll try to partner with a funding bank that's located in a region that has low regulation. So they can use this partnership to make loans across the US while minimizing the impact of any local regulation. Um, so yeah, basically fintechs are different from traditional banks in probably two main ways. They don't accept deposits and they're currently unregulated entities. About the market share, I think that's actually a bit tricky because of what I said before, because fintechs are not really regulated. There is no data collection. Um, even the regulators and the policymakers don't have great information on how many loans uh, fintechs are making, what the size of these loans are, who the borrowers are, and so on. Um, with the new data in our paper, we're trying to make a little bit of a headway into this question. And we see that after 2010, about a third of all the growth that we see coming from non-bank sources has been coming from fintechs. So in terms of the size, they're pretty small, but they've been growing pretty quickly in this space. Um, and one thing that people might not be aware of is that there are other non-bank lenders such as finance companies who um, you know, still operate brick and mortar branches. Uh, they have physical locations and they are very important players, but fintechs have been growing increasingly bigger and in importance in this space. Yeah, that's very interesting. And so in your paper, you study the role of these finance companies and fintechs in lending to SMEs after the 2008 financial crisis. So what was it like for a small or medium-sized firm to get a credit during the time? And in general, what were the crisis consequences with regards to SMEs business activity? Yeah, uh, thank you for bringing this up. I think it's very important for us to understand what conditions were like during the financial crisis and its aftermath to understand why this non-bank growth is such a significant event. Uh, so just to be clear, right, uh, in a recession or in a downturn, it becomes hard to borrow money. This is true for every type of borrower, a consumer, a business, a large business, a small business. Uh, this is true because as overall risk in the economy increases, lenders are just wary of making new loans. Um, but during the 2008 financial crisis, we saw kind of an exaggerated version of this, particularly for small businesses. And I think to understand just how bad this was, we can compare small and large business lending, for example, in the US. Um, between 2008 and 2010, lending to large businesses in the US, they fell by about 20%. Right? Uh, but it pretty much quickly recovered back to 2008 levels in a couple of years. So by 2012, 
they were back to pre-crisis levels. But for small businesses, in the same time, between 2008 and 10, lending fell by over 40%. And to this date, it still hasn't recovered. So 12 years from the crisis, we still haven't reached bank lending to the pre-financial crisis levels. Um, so loans just became harder to come by. The, the loans that were made also became more expensive. So if we look at spreads on loans, right? So the interest rate that's paid above a base rate, so which is typically uh, a federal funds rate, that went up from somewhere around 3.5% to 4.5% between 2008 and 10. So it became harder for small businesses uh, to receive credit. If they did receive credit, it became more expensive. So in short, it just was very hard for small businesses to receive credit during the 2008 crisis. And what is probably unique was that this effect continued long-term, so it persisted. And even till today, we see depressed small business lending from banks. And unlike other recessions, it wasn't a short-lived or a temporary dip in lending. So I think in our paper, we don't directly study all the business activities of SMEs in the paper, but I think many researchers before us have shown that small businesses and the economy in general were adversely affected by the financial crisis, right? For example, unemployment rate or new business startup didn't recover to pre-financial crisis levels until 2015. And I think in 2008 alone, there were over 64,000 business bankruptcy filings. And you should compare that to the sort of numbers that were there pre-financial crisis. So in 2007, this was around 28,000. So it jumped from 28,000 in 2007 to over 64,000 in 2008. And between 2008 and 11, over 320,000 businesses filed for bankruptcy in the US. And in fact, if we look at some of the smallest firms, right, so the ones that employ fewer than 100 people, the overall number of such businesses in the US between 2008 and 10, they fell by over 225,000, right? So considering business bankruptcies, fewer new businesses being formed, you just at the end of the crisis were left with much fewer small businesses. And as I said before, this financial crisis, it had both a deep and a persisting effect on SME activity in the US. And is there anything in the academic literature about the role of fintechs and finance companies um, at the time of the crisis? What role do they play then? Yeah, uh, so before our paper, we actually knew uh, very little about uh, fintechs or any banks in the small business lending space, because as I said before, since these fintechs and other non-banks, they're not regulated. There was no consistent data collection process. Uh, researchers had tried to address this question by looking at one or two specific fintechs that make their data publicly available, but we didn't have an idea of what the overall space looked like, uh, you know, uh, how large the players were in terms of market share. Um, and the thing is, it's not just that the lenders are unregulated, it's also that the small businesses, which are private in the US, they don't actually make any sort of filings or reportings. So we don't have information on their balance sheet or their financial conditions. 
And so most of what we knew came from anecdotal evidence, right? We had heard that fintechs were growing or we had papers talking about one or two specific fintech lenders and where they were making headway. But uh, we didn't really have great information about who the general fintech customer was and whether they were actually making an impact on the economy. Uh, whether, you know, uh, one of the things that we tried to show in the paper is that they're actually be able to substitute for declines in bank lending. Um, so I think it wasn't really clear whether fintechs are just lending to a subset of borrowers who would never have been funded by banks in the first place, or if there was some sort of substitution between banks and non-banks or fintech lenders. And so what data did you use in your paper and what are your main observations from the preliminary analysis of these data? Yeah, um, so in our paper, we actually bring new data to try to address this question. So specifically to try to deal with some of the data restrictions that I was talking about. In the US, there was no consistent collection of uh, small business financing, either from the lender side or from the borrower side. Uh, so we bring in new data, which we collect from what are known as Uniform Commercial Code or UCC filings. Um, so just to give some background, the UCC is a set of laws that govern commercial transactions in the US, right? And one of the articles, Article 9 of the UCC, they specify creditor rights for business lending. What this means is that creditors, they have a right to file a record with this UCC registry, which specifies what sort of assets of uh, the borrower the lender has a claim to. So this is what's known as a UCC filing. And this filing is going to record claims on any underlying assets. And we can think of this, say, analogous to making mortgages for real estate, right? So you make a loan against a house, you make a mortgage, you make a filing, which tells you if this borrower no longer pays back their loan, if they default, you have the right to seize this house. So you can do something similar for uh, borrowers or business assets. So if a borrower files for bankruptcy, you use these filings to determine who has claims on the assets of the borrower. And there's, it also helps with uh, determining priority. So say a borrower borrowers, borrowers from multiple lenders, based on the order of the filing, you know who has first claim to the assets and so on. Um, so these UCC filings, they're made at the state level, depending on where the borrower is located. And we collect this information from all 50 states in the US between 2006 and 2016. So with this new data, we're able to provide multiple new insights. So the first thing we show is that very much in contrast to conventional wisdom, small business lending is not just a bank business. So even before the financial crisis, nearly half of all small business lending, it came from non-banks. And a majority of these non-banks were finance companies. And our preliminary analysis, it showed that these non-banks, they became increasingly important after the financial crisis. And by 2016, over 60% of the loans that were being made to small businesses were coming from these non-banks, which includes finance companies and fintech lenders, which, as I told you before, after 2010, were responsible for a large share of the growth coming from non-banks. 
And so what are your main results uh, of your paper? And do you think they may be similar if you study the big firms instead of SMEs? Yeah, uh, so I think one of the main contributions of this paper, you know, is first to document this large role that non-banks play in small business lending. Um, after 2008, as I said before, there was this drop in bank lending. And what we're actually able to show is that this drop was eventually replaced by an increase in lending from non-banks such as finance companies and fintechs. And we tried to argue in this paper that this shift was driven by supply rather than demand, meaning that this came, this change came not because, you know, for some reason, borrowers now preferred to borrow from non-bank lenders, but because banks no longer were lending. And so they went to non-banks as a substitute for financing. And we actually show that regions that were most reliant on banks in the pre-financial crisis period uh, they saw the biggest overall lending decline during the financial crisis. But these regions also saw the greatest increase in non-bank lending. And we're actually able to show that non-banks almost completely offset this bank lending decline in the immediate aftermath of the financial crisis. And by 2016, there was almost complete substitution. And because of this, there is no long-term adverse real effects on the economy, such as employment or wages, new business creation, business expansion, and so on. And uh, some of the things that we talk about in this paper, they're true for large businesses as well. So I have other work on large businesses, um, as do some other researchers in this area, showing that even for large corporations to borrow, non-banks are extremely important and they've been growing in importance. So if you look at just uh, the term loan lending market for large businesses in the US, um, the non-bank market share in 2018 was about 76%. And this went up from about 40% in 2008. So even in this space, there's been a growth in non-bank lending and other researchers, they've argued that this increase has come from you know, additional bank regulation post the financial crisis. So this increased burden of regulation on banks has led to a shift from banks to non-banks because higher capital requirements made it either unprofitable or infeasible for banks to hold these loans on their balance sheet. So they originate many loans, but they sell them almost immediately after originations to non-banks. Uh, the non-banks in this market are actually very different. So they're typically mutual funds, CLOs, hedge funds, and so on. And they don't face the same level of regulation as banks do. So it seems like uh, there are lots of things to be done still in this area for the policy makers. And so what are the policy implications that uh, you think are important for the policy makers to, to take into account after your paper? Yeah, uh, you know, when we wrote this paper, we collected all the data, it was still pre-COVID times. And our goal was, you know, just to provide policymakers and regulators with information on how the financial conditions of small businesses have evolved since the crisis. The thing is, unfortunately, because of everything I said before, even policymakers, they don't have the data to make, you know, informed decisions. On this, they had there was no consistent data collection process. 
So we wanted to just provide some insight that could help them with decision-making in futures, especially around crises. And I think we've already seen the importance of having some of this information during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, as many of your listeners might know, the U.S. government introduced the Paycheck Protection Program to provide funds to small businesses to survive the pandemic. And the funds were provided by the government, but a lot of the logistics were handled by banks, you know, like accepting applications, sending it over to the Small Business Administration and so on. And there was a huge demand for this program when it was first introduced, right? Like within two weeks, the first set of funds ran out. And given all the demand, anecdotally, there was some evidence that banks were either prioritizing their own customers or just the larger of the businesses. And many small businesses were left out and were not able to access such uh, funding. And one thing we saw was uh, initially this program was approved only for banks, but towards the end of the first phase, they actually approved fintech lenders. And very quickly, fintech lenders started making a large number of these loans and they became a major supplier of these PPP loans in phase two. Um, actually, some of the some researchers have shown recently that over 16% of PPP loans overall, they were approved by fintech lenders, even though they joined in much later. And they found that these fintechs, they're used more in zip codes that have fewer bank branches, you know, lower income areas, more minorities or industries that did not have access to as much small business lending before. So think similar, I think, to what we have shown that regions that banks are no longer lending to, essentially fintechs are coming in and substituting and you know, providing credit that otherwise would not be available. Um, so I think it's important for policymakers to be aware of this. So when you know, if you're introducing such programs, you need to be aware that banks are not your only source and banks may not be providing credit equally everywhere. So you might want to think of other players in this market. And I think having fintechs do this during the COVID-19 pandemic significantly improved uh, the distribution of loans. So it seems like they are also helping with inequality, right? Yeah, so uh, I think typically uh, these borrowers of fintechs, yeah, as we just spoke about, they tend to be in what you would consider poorer neighborhoods, uh, you know, lower incomes, more minority share, uh, and so on. And yes, it could potentially have an impact in the longer term on things like inequality. Wow. Thank you very much for this interesting discussion, Manasa. I think we have learned a lot uh, during this talk and uh, I hope indeed the policymakers will take into account uh, your suggestions and the recommendations from the paper and will start to look at fintechs and finance companies in more details. So thank you again and good luck in your research. Thank you so much for having me here. It was great talking about my work and thank you for your interest. <music>